the conversation I often have with parents today is one I can so relate to it. I think one of the biggest things that I've struggled with as well is speaking up is pushing back on boundaries because, and just because somebody in a suit who's an authority tells you to do something doesn't necessarily mean you need to listen to them. We've been taught to listen, but do you know what I mean? It's like, I do feel like we're, I do feel like there's such a big disservice we're doing with our children in terms of do as I say, because I say so, listen to these rules, because we're not teaching them the skills to be assertive, to think for themselves, to speak up for themselves. And I was always too scared to do that. Welcome ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Matt Brown and you're listening to the Podcast. Each episode we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Old Podcast, where every episode we have a different guest come on and talk about things that that person individually has navigated through, and they talk about how it made them feel, what they went through, what support did they have? Did they accept it? Did they not? Did the things manifest themselves in a way that was healthy or unhealthy and whatever else they have to talk about? And the reason we do this is because a lot of us go through these many different emotions and feelings and situations in our lives where we think things are going to go one way and they go another and we have to work out how we're going to react to that said situation. And I think there's so much benefit from listening to various people, no matter how you look at them, whether you think they're up there on in an ivory tower or they're someone that you would never want to aspire to be because you don't know what they're going through, how they got from where they were to where they are without knowing them as an individual and what trials and tribulations have had to navigate through. And it will help us to grow as individual and hopefully have better empathy with one another and build a more sustainable and positive community as a whole and it is as cliche as it is i have i have a fantastic guest i've been chasing her for a while to be fair but she's worth the chasing she's worth the hounding she's worth the patiently waiting in the background because she's an incredible individual who gives so much of herself to others that she doesn't just benefit the children she also benefits the parents she benefits the schools she benefits the wider community, the corporate world, because what she enables parents and children to do is to be more independent, to be more articulate when it comes to their own emotions and be able to navigate their own big feelings that they all have. Because being a parent, as much as people think you've got it all down, you just got to look after a little one. It's like, no, because a lot of the type of things that the little kids are going through, I've now got to navigate the feelings that I never knew I had thinking about, oh gosh, they're going to go into this new environment and they're going to ask me, ask me these questions and they're going to do this. They're going to do that. I can't cope with it. But Nancy just calmly comes in energetically, just, just has that way of just calming the situation down, asking the right questions pulling out the information that is required to help arm and equip the people with what they need to be able to take control of their own reactions of a situation, which is amazing. It's an amazing skill. Actually, the fitness fanatic. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, 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 you know, 
that that just adds to why she's also amazing because she's just got this energy. She's just so so amazing. But what I'm going to do, before I'm going to ask her to introduce herself, what I'd like you to do, and this is something I've kind of wanted to do after having a chat with a guest, is for those people that may be visually impaired who may not know what you look like, could you please describe what you look like, including ethnicity, if you're happy with that, and whatever else. Because I think it's important that we include people to know what they look like, because I am a black male, I am six foot three, and I am extremely handsome. And I'm not going to go back on that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. No, that's brilliant. And thank you so much for having me. Um, quite okay to describe myself. I'm white. I'm from South Africa, born and raised. I'm half South African, half Portuguese. Um, although I am really interested in doing my DNA test. So that might change once I figure out what percentage I am and from where. Um, but my mom's from South Africa, my dad's Portuguese. I've got long, dark hair, brown eyes. At the moment, quite a tan complexion because I'm just back from holiday, but that will probably last a week. <laughs> so, and I'm not very tall. Often when people say they meet me in real life, they expect me to be bigger. I don't know whether that is a, a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I'm quite short. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I look like. That's fair enough. And could you please introduce yourself outside of that description of yourself about what you do, who you are, before we go into your first L? Yeah, sure. So I'm the founder of Power Thoughts, and that is a coaching and educational service that I put together about six years ago to initially help children tap into the power of their own thoughts and to give them the tools when it comes to working through those big feelings and the negative thoughts and self-doubts. But over the last few years, the work involves supporting parents as well. And it's really about equipping parents with the tools and strategies as well so that parents are able to reparent themselves as they're being parents for their child. And so both learning these tools and strategies together. I mean, and Matt, we've known each other for ages. So I think, you know, Initially, my work was very much focused within schools, going into schools and running workshops for kids. Obviously, I've got some private clients that I work with, but now it's a lot more around supporting parents and really giving parents, like I said, the tools and the strategies to understand big emotions, both their own big emotions and that of their child. And equally, being able to connect with their child in a different way that perhaps many of us, we went taught or modeled or raised in that way. And I think one of the big things that I see come through my work time and time again is nobody taught us how to regulate our emotions. And yet we're trying to teach a child how to do it. And it's incredibly difficult. And so that's where the reparenting part comes in on like, what am I doing to regulate my own emotions? And it feels really difficult to do that along with other things. So um, my work now also involves obviously working with parents, doing parent workshops. I do a lot of work in the corporate space for working parent networks as well. So yeah, it's a mix. It's a mix of things, which which I like the variety. And I appreciate the great work that you're doing for many of us, because even just being in your presence, being around you, always helps me to question my motives, the reasons why I do certain things, how I feel, am I communicating the right way and so forth like that. So I thank you for being who you are and for just doing the great work you're doing out in the world. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. So the L you'd like to talk about today? 
is anxiety, which I find very interesting because someone who is as eloquent as you are and well-versed in it, it kind of makes sense that you would be good at being able to talk about it if you've got your own lived experience of it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, please go to the top where you feel it's relevant to start and, yes, yeah, uh, share, please. Yeah, I think, um, so I definitely, you know, I, I think labels, because <clears throat> I'm, I'm very conscious of like, I'm, you know, I struggle with anxiety or I've, you know, had real challenges with it. I'm very conscious of the label I can put on myself in that box and be like, right now I really identify with being anxious. Because I think it's a bit of like, I'm on the fence of these things. It can be powerful, but equally it can get in your own way. I mean, that's my, just my own personal opinion. But um. I think by nature and tendency, I was definitely more of a warrior and an anxious little girl. I actually remember probably about when I was at seven, we'd just come back from holiday. And I just remember this feeling of worry in my stomach and I didn't know what it was. And it's almost like it's just stayed with me ever since. And I'd also be quite anxious, you know, going to school, new situations. I always have these worries about what if scenarios. I mean, looking back now, and I've had lots of conversations with my parents, my mother would model worrying very well. And my dad would be very good at worrying as well. And if I look at grandparents on both sides, both of them were more anxious in nature. So I think it was modeled to me really well, you know, and we often joke about that. But, um, I think it's it's something that I've always found difficult, especially if I'd say look at other people, or even you know my husband that's quite relaxed and just things just don't generally tend to get in that ang- you know he doesn't get that anxious about things so um what really was you know what what drew me to do the work that I do with children is when I was a teacher and I was at you know i was i mean that there, there's a lot. It kind of put in that, but there was a, a point when so many of the kids I was working with were being quite anxious about, you know, going to secondary school, about doing their SATs exams. And at that point, I'd already, you know, looked at different avenues to leave teaching. I was a qualified coach, but it dawned on me. I was like, why is it that we're not teaching children about their thoughts? Why is it that only now at the early ages of 30, which was then, Am I only realizing now I don't have to believe every thought I think? I don't have to believe all of these anxious worries and anxious thoughts that I attach myself to. Why are we not teaching kids these tools earlier on so that they don't have to wait until their 30s and 40s to realize, oh, okay, there's a different way I can think. I don't have to believe the story I'm telling myself. And um, that really led me on the journey of, well, what can I do? Because I done my coaching training and I was really fascinated about, you know, and obviously I've got a background in psychology as well. So I was always fascinated about the brain, how the brain works, mindset. And it just, it just hit me like, why are we not teaching kids about their thoughts? And so that led me on this journey of what can I start to put together to help children now so that they don't have to end up like me later on down the line, like really trying to rewire their brain and create new thinking patterns and, you know, giving them the tools earlier on that can really become ingrained as habits to support them as they grow. So I guess it's, you know, the anxiety has been a gift in one way. Had I maybe not struggled a lot with it, I wouldn't have felt so passionate to really 
make a difference and to support children in that way. And obviously that then led to, you know, all other forms of work that I do in terms of emotional regulation and emotions and working through difficult feelings and resilience and confidence and so forth. But I think that was a key. That was definitely one of the key driving factors. It was to give children the tools that I really wish I had learned from a younger age because I remember, you know, my parents really struggled saying things like, well, don't worry and you'll be fine and trying to rationalize with me. But none of that ever took the anxiety feeling away. In actual fact, it just made it worse. And it's, and you know, it, they came from a good place because they didn't know. And it's, it really took time to, I suppose now looking back and I know so much more so we can really see, you know, what was going on. But, um, th- you know, th- th- this knowledge, this information wasn't available back then as well. And I just think if I can now help children begin to learn at this age or the age that they're at, whether that is six, seven, eight, twelve, fourteen, when their brains are still really malleable, really those strategies of you don't have to believe all the thoughts you're thinking and latch onto those worries. And there's a different way to think about it. You know, you don't have to go into that fight or flight or that fear when the anxiety sometimes really takes over. There's a different way. I mean, that in itself is just so freeing. So it did, you know, whilst it was and still is sometimes a curse, I'm not going to lie. It's still still very much aware of it. And I think also just the more work I do on this and the more research I do, it's as we know, you know, your brain is, you know, your brain always has the ability to change and to grow, but I've got some very well ingrained thought habits and thinking patterns that I'm still like learning to unpick and learning, you know, to detach from those emotions that my body is so used to feeling. So I think, yeah, that's what, you know, definitely one of the big reasons behind, you know, what got me started on this journey of children and children's mental health and obviously supporting parents as well. That's interesting because again, you're paying it forward. You're you're understanding where you was and becoming the person that you felt you needed mm. to support yourself coming through. Mm. So what was it that was causing you such anxiety? Did you ever discover what it was? No, I still don't. I often still think about that. I think it. I just used to call them my worries. And it, it would, it just started when I was about seven, seven, yeah, six, seven years old. But I remember the feeling, the feeling of initially, I think it was we'd come back from holiday and I was worried about going to school and worried about fitting in and worried about the next year. And, um, but slowly that would escalate. And then the feel, it was more than the feeling that would get bigger versus actually it's the thought. It's like I was more worried about this feeling and not wanting to have this feeling, but then worried that the feeling's going to come and then you worry about the feeling. And it's, it's, um, I think definitely, you know, the more I know now about, you know, anxiety, it's, it's also the, you know, really struggling to navigate uncertainty. Like it's being able to tolerate uncertainty. And, you know, my parents, I love my parents, but if actually, you know, don't think that was, they also too, as with most, you know, the brain doesn't like uncertainty, but um, they definitely were more on the, the side of being more anxious versus not anxious, you know, being more relaxed and laid back. So I think a combination of it being modeled and, you know, that's just what your reality is and that's what you know, that's what you see. You don't question it because it's all that you know, I think is a big 
big part of it. But equally, then it also made sense to me why they were like that, because if I look at how they were raised and the environments that they were raised in. So it's, you know, it, it has been really interesting to kind of take a bigger look at it. But, you know, it's not that anything traumatic happened to me. And I can only speak for myself, but I think, you know, a big part for me was more environmental. And I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they love me. I had a lovely upbringing. It's just, <laughs> we were quite nervous <laughs> and careful. <laughs> I get that. Was there anything in particular, like phrases they use? Because I know I say to my son a lot, be careful. And that's mainly because when he was his only ch- an only child, he could throw himself around, do what he wants. But bear in mind, he was only, what, two going on three mm-hmm. at the time. So there wasn't much he could do anyway. But when he had his twin brother, well, his brother and sister come about, it's now his arms are longer, his legs are longer, mm-hmm. his range is further. He now wants to play with big boy toys. And all I keep saying is, be careful. Not just because the bumps and bruises won't go away, it's because I'm going to have to tell you off mm-hmm. because you wasn't mindful of who was around you. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying, I promise you, I'm getting to double figures on a daily. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. And I'm hearing myself say it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to err on the side of caution and say all of this stuff. But later on, I'll cuddle him up, have a one-on-one with him and explain to him why Um, a lot of it flies over his head i get it but i at least afford him that time to talk yeah was your parents similar in terms of saying things like be careful oh don't do that or was it something Um, else do you know what i also want to add something else to this i think the environment i grew up in so there definitely was an element of be careful because Unfortunately, the, you know, the crime statistics in South Africa is not the best in the world. And so definitely doing things independently, obviously, you know, going out with friends, there was a very real element of be careful and be careful could mean you're either going to die or you're not going to die. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're being really brutally honest i think growing up in and i remember i think dr nicole lapera also talks about this environment that she grew up in in terms of somewhere somewhere in the states just a neighborhood that's you know quite known to not be a very safe neighborhood so in collectively even that can make an impact as well and i'm not saying that because i had lots of friends you know my, my friends and i were very chilled and really bad but that was definitely like, you know, a big thing that, that, that I still, you know, stands up like, oh, I've got to be really careful, be careful with the traffic lights, be careful if I go out at night, I've got to be careful where I am and when I'm driving and things like that. But I think in terms of, it's, again, you know, my parents did the best that they could, but yeah, there was an element of overprotection as well. Definitely. You know, I think it's, and now looking back, you know, I've had conversations with my parents about, oh, you know, we could have maybe given you a bit more leeway. But I also think it's it's really hard from the parents' perspective because there's no manual, there's no guide. You are literally winging it. You're the blind leading the blind, you know, that's that. And you're, you're just doing the best that you can. And you're doing the best that you can based on your upbringing and how it was modeled and done for you. So, I think going back to your, going back to your question of any phrases, I can't really remember phrases as such, but I just remember 
what if something bad happens? That's kind of like, okay, but let's plan for the worst case scenario. Let's plan for the worst thing. Um, and the, you know, the worst case scenario rarely happens. And always that, that desire to control or to, to know what the outcome is. That's just something that I, you know, that, that I remember quite a bit. Appreciate when you had those feelings in your belly where the knot was turning and every time you kept thinking about something and then the knot would tighten and you kept thinking about it and the knot was tightened. What was the thing, and this is before you got to the version of yourself you are today, what was it that would relieve that tension, that pressure? Is there anything that you stumbled across or thought of that helped you to unwind and get rid of that? that anxiety so that you could push through and do whatever it was you needed to do? Or did you always sidestep and navigate yourself around getting involved in that situation that made you anxious? Good question. I've actually never thought of that. I think, so one of the things that I've learned is asking for reassurance would temporarily alleviate it, but that's not the go-to because it's it's learning to trust yourself. I think, and and interestingly, as I was, you know, growing older and so forth the only thing that I did was push through it like I would push through it and it would be awful like it would be awful but I would push through it because the the thought of not doing the thing that scared me of not doing that was far more painful than let me just go for it so in that way I think that, and and in a way, you know, obviously, then that builds your self trust. Then that builds your, oh, cool, look, I could do that. Like, actually, I'm a far stronger than what I thought I was. I'm far more capable. Actually, I read a really good book on anxiety, and you know, quote, kind of paraphrasing what was said, but it was, you know, people with anxiety tend to think that they're not very strong, but actually, they are incredibly strong because they're sitting and working with this feeling so often in their day and they're still going through it and and doing really difficult things but that feeling is still there and i think me pushing myself through the things that scared me and would really make me feel anxious like instead of not you know holding myself back that builds that sense of self-trust but it was only much later that I then stumbled upon exercise so exercise was a big thing for me that really helped me alleviate that feeling and you know I mean talk therapies as well has been really beneficial but that obviously was you know later into my young adult years and so forth but as a child it was quite difficult, you know, you'd be asking for the reassurance from your parents and you just don't have, you just don't, I didn't have the knowledge of actually, this is just butt brain talking to me right now. Cause I get kids I work with to create, a, you know, personify that negative voice and we create a silly character and, you know, well, this is butt brain and what's butt brain saying to me right now. And, you know, what evidence do I have to prove that it's not true? And we start to really unpick those thoughts. That was never taught to me because I was never taught to, like oh, you don't have to believe every thought you think just because you think it's going to go bad is that really 100 percent true 
look for evidence when there hasn't been. Like that just, it was never taught to that degree. And I mean, to be fair, you know, my parents didn't know either. And it's, it's, I mean, many of the parents I work with today also don't know. They're like, well, I need these tools, you know, because I just want to say, don't worry, because I want to help my child. But actually, I know that that doesn't help them. Did it manifest itself, your anxiety that is, in any unhealthy ways growing up? say definitely just the just like the excessive worrying the excessive energy that i'd spend worrying about things and time spent worrying about things and you know definitely sleep was a big thing and that still can be impacted you know not being able to sleep I mean, could you say relationships? Because you're always asking for that reassurance. You know, if I'm thinking when I'm younger, that can sometimes be a bit clingy and a bit annoying. And I think definitely, yeah, actually a big one is like perfectionism and overworking and doing more, you know, going be over and above and beyond. So that doesn't go well <laughs> with that, the, 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 the words of the high functioning anxiety, you know, that definitely doesn't work very well because it's, well, let me get this perfect, you know? And I mean, that in itself can lead to, burn, you know, long phases, burnout and so forth. So I think those tendencies I definitely developed from a young age of trying to push, 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 work, 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 go, 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 da, 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 da. Yeah, so that's that's that I'd say be an unhealthy manifestation of it. It's unfortunate that those are the things that how it manifests itself, but it's nice to be able to identify with it. Because from my experience, I've witnessed people have body dysmorphia because of it. People just lack confidence in everywhere, shape or form of their life. They just have a lot of self, they're consumed by self-doubt. And mm-hmm. some of that was me going through some of that because you, yeah. I just didn't think I was good enough or yes, you're seeking reassurance, but then, you know, your parents do what they can do. and They're not always there, like you've mentioned. So yeah. it's interesting that someone like yourself had also gone through something like that. Yeah. And I think definitely, you know, now you mentioned it, 100% lack of confidence, lack of self-doubt, feeling always like you don't belong. You know, there's this, there's a big part of I don't fit in. I'm not one of the popular kids. I'm not one of the the in crowd. And that, you know, it that kind of stays because those stories you kind of create then and it kind of stays with you. And I think, yeah, you know, that 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 like really giving myself a hard time and like the I'm saying, like it goes back to that earlier point of just the excessive amount of time I'd spend in my head. And you know, the anxiety, like the physical manifestation, then take over and into heart racing and you can't think clearly and then you don't put yourself out there and then you, it becomes this whole like self-fulfilling little prophecy. So when you was younger and you was having these bouts of anxiety, what was you telling yourself to push through, as you said? So I think... I can't, you know, I think when I'm, when school's a bit of a blur, it, I don't, I'm just trying to think of like an instance, perhaps at school, I think one that probably might come, so repeat your question again, sorry, just with your question. So when you was younger and you had those bouts of anxiety and you wanted to push through, what did you tell yourself to be able to push through? whatever it was at the time that was causing you anxiety? 
Mm, the first thing that comes to mind is, <laughs> it sounds really cliched, but I'm strong. Of course I can do this. Now, interestingly, that would be, and it's weird because I think I would, I want, if I want something, like I remember, I mean, school to me was like, I don't really, nothing stands out at school. Like I didn't really enjoy it. But with university, I remember training to be a teacher and I really wanted to do my psychology degree. So I did that in the evenings. And even though, and then to like to get from the from the degree to get the honours, that was the one thing I really wanted. And I wanted to get that. I, if I got a certain amount of scores, that basically meant my parents didn't have to pay. So I was like, I was gunning for that, like, you know, A star. And when I first, and I've, I've seen the pattern, like if I want something, I'll be like, yeah, of course I'm going to get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. And like, there's this determination, there's this sense of like assertiveness, a sense of solidness. That's the only way I can think of it. I'm going to get that. And then as I start moving towards it, that's when the kind of the shit hits the fan. I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this too much. But I think that initial solidness that I had, that like ground, sorry, groundedness, is kind of what gets me through. And I mean, that's the same feeling I had when I decided I wanted to come to the UK by myself, straight out of home, out of uni. You know, I didn't live, I lived in my parents' home and then came straight here. I mean, that was a shock to the system being by myself. But that same feeling I had before. And if I think when I taught, I taught in Berlin for a couple of months as well and didn't just decided to go, didn't know anyone, but that was the same kind of, I'm going to do this, that kind of groundedness. And I guess then going back to one of your earlier questions, that kind of started to build as a muscle so that now, even now when I want to do things and I'm really scared, I've done too many other things to be like, oh, come on, we can't bail out now. You've done this too much. You, you can't, what, what, come on, come on, come on. You, you can't stop now. You know, you have to push through. So there is always an element of feeling grounded if I'm thinking about like these bigger goals that I want. And it's funny when really big stuff happens. And I can't think of anything now, but I've definitely thought of this before. But like, if big stuff happens, I'm actually quite grounded. It's more the little things that tend to like kind of rock the boat. But again, you know, one of the books I've read, that's a very classic thing as well, which is quite interesting. I, I like that. It, I was actually talking to someone the other day and they were talking about how they had anxiety and they were dealing with it and then something will happen. They start shouting at themselves saying like, you idiot, why are you doing that for? Like, you know, you can do this, you can do this. And I just had to ask them, I said, just bear in mind, this is the first time I had any interaction with this individual. And I said, out of curiosity, do you respond well to being shouted at? So what do you mean? So if you used to go to work and someone shouted at you, how would you respond? Is that like the preferred method of communication? He said, well, no, I'd like to have a word with them. And I was saying, like, you're right. Like, why are you talking to me like this? And I said, so if you're referring to yourself in third person, why do you feel it's appropriate to communicate to yourself in that way? And he just was stunned. And I like having conversations like this because it opens my mind in the possibilities of how we're framing things because we're unwillingly and unknowingly doing certain things where we're used to shouting at ourselves because we feel that's the done thing, even though there's no malice in it. Mm. It's just kind of like saying, cut it out, move on. But we don't realize we're probably not showing ourselves as much love as we maybe should yeah. do. And that can manifest itself or has manifest itself in something that's quite toxic. Yeah. What you also mentioned as well about the, 
the momentum part of it. And I have spoken about this, I think, in a previous episode, but it's an analogy that kind of stuck with me. And it's the fact that every single day of your life, you're, you're building a bridge and actively walking on it at the same time. And there are people that are looking at you from a distance, hating on you for where you are, but they have no idea that every step you put down, you've had to just suddenly throw a plank of wood down and use chewing gum, prick stick, no more nails, actual nails, whatever it is you've got. And you're just stepping on it, hoping this mm-hmm. thing don't collapse. And you look back and they're all way in yonder and they're like, look at you. And it's like, unless you're willing to do what I've done, please don't say a word because yeah. one, I can't hear you. Two, I don't want to hear you. And three, unless you're willing to come where I'm at, then just shush. And that reminded me of your mo- of your momentum moment where you realise I've done a lot. I've hopped on planes. I've travelled different countries on my ones. I am putting myself in a situation where I am completely out of my comfort zone mm. and I have nothing else to do in this scenario than to just swim. If I don't mm. swim or at least tread water, I'm drowning. And you're not about that. And that is commendable. What what made you take such a massive leap from being in a household where it's all you knew, going mm. to university because, you know, you want to achieve stuff to, and sorry for assuming here, but, hmm, wouldn't that be nice? And then next, mm. you know, it becomes your reality. Like, how mm. did you suddenly go from mm. this anxious person to, yeah, why don't we just hop on a plane and just go try something new in another country? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think adventure or being adventurous. I was, and definitely, I definitely was, I'm the eldest of two as well. So I'm that typical eldest child you know follow by the book the people pleaser do everything I mean my sister is like yeah whatever you know she's got a bit more of a rebellious streak to her and I think so I think and, and you know I think um I didn't realize I, w- I grew up in a very I'm very lucky that I had a you know a very solid and privileged upbringing I'm, I'm very aware of that um I definitely also think we grew up in a bit of a bubble you know, I think, um, just so protected. So deciding to leave home and then come to the UK and teach for t- like not, not knowing anybody that, that was a much bigger step than I anticipated. And I remember the first year was awful. I just wanted to go back home, but my parents were like, no, nope, she's staying, she's staying, she's staying. She's not, you know, we wanted to stay. Well, no, I think, you know, when looking back, I think my gut, I think I've always been quite intuitive. My gut does speak quite, um, I can really tune in, like, that's my gut speaking, like, that's the nudge, that's the nudge. And I remember still having this nudge towards, like, the end of my uni phase. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Do I go get a job? I'm like, so is this my life? Do I stay in Pretoria? And no judgment to anybody that, you know, continues to stay in their hometown. That's that's cool. But that just wasn't for me. I'm like, there's got to be more to my life than this. And that little nudge of, but there's something more, there's something more, there's something more. And that same little nudge is the same nudge or the same whisper that I've had time and time again, whether it was when I trained to become a fitness instructor, whether it was then to quit teaching and set up my own business. And I would never, like, I'm not a business-minded person. I've never put myself down as somebody like that. But that little gut nudge feeling is the thing that was like, 
it just wouldn't keep quiet until I did something. And I wouldn't know it then, but now looking back, and I'm a lot more in tuned into my intuition, I was like, well, that is what it was. And not listening to that was more painful than letting that fear hold me back. Did you have any support helping you with your anxiety? I remember the first time my parents took me to a psychologist, probably when I was about 10. I just remember drawing pictures, a lot of pictures with her, so I don't really remember much else. And then when I was about 16 again, and actually then I was put on antidepressants, and I was on them until about 27. And then it was arranged by, by that stage in my, you know, 20s, I'd already started to get into this, you know, more into the space around coaching and more around psychology and more around how the brain works. And so then it was me getting into meditation and into exercise. I mean, I hated sports and exercise as a child. So that was only in my uh, like late 20s and 30s that I got into it. So I think it's been a mixture of, of of different things. And obviously of late, it's been a lot more about different therapies and talk therapies and uh, practicing a lot of the things that I teach as well. And, you know, journaling, like I said, meditation, mindfulness, and I'm really intrigued into somatic work at the moment as well and how your body holds on to emotion. So that's something else I really want to explore as well. So yeah, there's been a mix of things. I'm trying to work out which way I want to go with this <laughs> because I think you're a fascinating human being and there's so many things I'd love to unpack or unpick as you use yeah. about your situation, but I'm very conscious of time. So we've all said, of all that said and done, you've gone therapy, you've done a whole host of things to try and work on you, which your parents, were they supportive of that? Were they the ones that sort of oh, yeah. told the line with that? Totally, totally, totally. And I think, you know, as you know, even parents, if they can, if they're listening to this, I think it's really difficult when you can see your child is struggling and you can't help them and you don't know how to help them, you know, especially when it is something like, you know, emotional support. And it might even be something that you can't relate to because, well, what, what are you getting? So, you know, it doesn't make such, it's not such a big deal to you. But yet it still breaks your heart because you can't seem to reach them and be with them where they're at. So um, I think, you know, they just wanted me to to feel good, you know, to get better. Was there any stigma around you going to therapy as far as you're aware? Do you know what? I don't, and I know there is, but I don't, I didn't, I never picked that up. I never picked it up. I think, I mean, initially I was diagnosed with depression. I don't think it was, a, I think it was more anxiety. And did, was it helpful? I mean, to some degree it was. I don't know, looking back now, I'm like, <laughs> there's a lot more that we do today, but I appreciate things were very different then as well. So you can't really compare. I don't, I can't recall if my friends knew that I was going to see someone. I also don't remember feeling like it was a stigma as such. How would you describe the difference between anxiety and depression? Hmm, okay, so anxiety, and I don't have the textbook <laughs> definitions. No, it's just how, how you see it. I think, you know, if you're asking me for me and my body, I, you know, I go a lot with body feelings. And I think for me, anxiety is a lot more around, it's more of an a movable energy in my body. It's quite, you know, my heart graces. It's this 
feeling like I just feel like there's a lot of energy in my body that needs to be released. Whereas with depression, it's a lot lower. I think it's a lot heavier. It's it's a lot more lethargic, heavy, heavy and slow are the words that come to mind. And I think a real lack of interest in things that you initially would, a lack of motivation, whereas anxiety is more of a nervous, for me anyway, is more of that nervous energy that oh, I've got to do something, I've got to do whereas the depression's like, well, just, just no. So I guess if it was sort of like vibrations, depression would be like the low vibrations that are just, you feel it, it's just kind of making you feel numb. You suddenly mm-hmm. don't realize it's there, but you can feel it's there. If that yeah. makes sense. And yeah. the, the anxiety is just—it's—it's it's noise and or it's vibration, but to the point where it's just so erratic that you just yeah. can't settle at all. You're just constantly always trying to stop things from falling off the shelf and stop this and stop mm. that, and you just don't get a moment's break. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And if I think back, I'd say definitely it was more anxiety versus depression that that you know i've had that likes to come along with me and hang out with me <laughs> you're cool people like that <laughs> <laughs> so with with the topic of your friends did your anxiety impact your friendships in any way shape or form that you are aware of even in your later life hmm, good question um i think friends as teens it's just anxiety, like it's just anxiety all around because you're always trying to fit in. And, you know, especially with girls and teenage girls, there's like, there's a lot of like, everybody's just balls of energy, I think. Um, so if I look back at teen years, it was definitely the cause of a lot of anxiety, comparison, trying to fit in, you know, friendships, that's a trio, like that was really tough. But would it impact it? I think not really friendships as such but if I think now of you know being in a partnership with my husband that can definitely have an impact at times the you know where there have been real I mean we've been together for 14 years so we've been together for a very long time congratulations thank you and you know he's very patient he's very calm he's very just grounded and it's you know it's gonna be fine and like that calm presence that I think is definitely good for me but it can be exhausting I think you know being with somebody like me sometimes the consistent reassurance the are you okay so I think it's and you know there have obviously as with any couples you know one energy feeds off the other energy you know and it's it has an impact so I think in that way it can definitely sometimes manifest itself in ways that obviously doesn't help the relationship fair enough so he's a yin to your yang yeah (laughs) beautiful so let's assume everything where you are right now remains intact the friendships the relationships everything remains intact but you are allowed to go back in time to your younger self now i want to ask you two questions when would you go back in time that was the lowest point of your anxiety journey that you can recall mm-hmm. and what would you say to your younger self to help you push through and not just pull the handbrake up and just go no I'm not doing this anymore mm. I think teen years I can't think of an exact age but but 15 14 15 16 roundabout really low 
just struggled a lot, I think, in terms of self-confidence, like we spoke about, not feeling like you belonged, you know, friendship dramas. And, you know, my father was also incredibly strict. So there was a lot of things I felt that I missed out on. And I mean, I know he needed to protect me, but as a life of a teenage, uh, you know, just wants to go out and hang out with your friends. That was a really tough, tough, tough one. So I think that was, that was really hard and struggling family dynamics in that capacity. I think that's probably when I would go back to. And I would probably tell her not to give up and just remind her that there is a much greater life than what she's seeing in front of her right now. You know, that she's going to be doing amazing things and, you know, she's going to be traveling the world and she's going to set up her own bloody business, believe it or not, because at that point she probably doesn't believe me. But, um, like what she, what she matters, because at the minute she doesn't think she does matter. And she does belong because she doesn't feel that she does belong. Yeah, would probably be some of the things I tell her. So as eloquently as you were saying that right here, right now, would the younger version of yourself, 14, 15, 16, actually take heed to what you said? Or would you need to present it in a different way in order for you to listen to what you're saying so that you actually go, I hear you, let me... Let me get up and go. I don't know. I wasn't very like rebellious. I was quite, I just really struggled because I didn't have a lot of self-confidence and self-belief. I think I'd also go back and speak to my parents if I could do that. Okay. What would you say to them? Understanding the pressure that they're facing and the fear that they have and worried about, are they doing the right thing or not? But also trust your little girl. You've raised her to make good decisions. Lengthen that rope a little bit and trust her. Because how can you expect your daughter to speak up and be assertive and to build that resilience if there's not opportunities to build that resilience? Right. And I think connect more because it was, you know, I think it's, it's, and this is what I find a lot of parents I work with today is, you know, parenting has changed. And for many of us, I don't know if you can relate, but it was very much of a strict authoritarian style of parenting that was fear-based. And me being a people pleaser, I just, I just, I just hated having my parents upset with me, but it was, you know, I'm making this up that they were lovely parents. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't beat or anything like that. It was just, but there was a lot of very strict, very, you do as I say. And my personality style, I would get quite scared with that, you know, whereas like maybe somebody else, my sister just, well, the stricter you are, the more I'm going to you know, <laughs> push back. But it, it all comes down to temperament styles as well. Um, and Mel Robbins actually spoke about this in one of her podcasts with Dr. Russell Kennedy that speaks a lot about anxiety and anxiety actually being your younger self now that is seeking your attention. And um, they were just talking about, you know, different parenting styles don't always match what the child needs. So anyway, we're not going to get too much into that, but I think it's coming less out of fear and let's go step more into that connection. Let's trust more. Let's, let's really connect with Natalie. Let's really connect to how she's feeling 
versus it coming from this space of fear and that um yeah because there's a conversation sorry, i'm just thinking because there's a conversation i often have with the parents today is one that i can so relate to it i think one of the biggest things that i've struggled with as well is speaking up is pushing back on boundaries because and just because somebody in a suit who's an authority tells you to do something doesn't necessarily mean you need to listen to them we've been taught to listen but do, do you know what i mean it's like yeah i do feel like we're I do feel like there's such a big disservice we're doing with our children in terms of do as I say because I say so, listen to these rules, because we're not teaching them the skills to be assertive, to think for themselves, to speak up for themselves. And I was always too scared to do that. I would just have been, I would have liked to have more opportunities to do that. Not that like anything terrible would have happened to me. I just have the tendon, the, the personality style that I hate making people mad and I don't want people to be mad at me. And it's like, I don't want to like deal with that. You know, it's not that I would be anything bad would happen. But I think, yeah, looking back, I would have liked more, a little bit more leeway because you could trust me. I wasn't going to, you know, do the stuff. And I think it's just giving a bit more freedom to kind of bump my head by myself a little bit, which is such a fine line, you know? Yeah. And that sounds great. It just sounds like it's not just you fixing what you feel needs fixing. It's a matter of the relationship sounds like it was not as harmonious as it could be. Mm. And it sounds like potentially, and I could probably relate to it, is the, well, I can relate to it. Let's not put probably in there because let's be honest. A lot of it is down to fear. I don't yeah. want anything bad to happen to my child because then I can't do control L, mm -hmm. so control. I can't do control Z or um, yeah. command Z to undo that. It's once it's done, it's done. Once my baby's got a scar, they've got a scar, whether it's physical or emotional or otherwise. Mm -hmm. I don't want that for them. So is it better that they stay away from it than embrace it and go for it? Ironically, me doing this podcast, I'm a hypocrite at times and I, I own that, but I am trying mm -hmm. to work through it. But that's that's how I see it. But I appreciate your honesty there. So if you're going to say anxiety at the time was an L, what are you calling it now looking back in hindsight? A gift. Because if I didn't struggle with it, I don't think it would have got me to this point doing what I'm doing today. I don't think because that was like a big drive or a big passion that got me started with it. When I could see so many of the kids, I was working really strong with the same self-doubts, the same worries. I'm not going to be good enough. I've got nothing interesting to say. Um, you know, everybody else is better than me. I'm going to, I'm not going to be successful in life if I don't pass my SATs. Like nobody cares about your SATs, like <laughs> in the biggest scheme of things. But in their world, that's a big deal. You know, I'm boring, you know, one, and, and actually the, the, the one thing I'll, this, this was probably one of the big key moments is one of the boys I was working, like in the class, very bright boy, and he was going for school interviews, like for secondary school. And he said to me, he's like, miss, but I don't think I'm going to get any because I'm boring because so-and-so once told me that I'm boring. And that was a story that he latched onto. And I was just like, well, if he sticks with a story, that's going to impact him in, we know how these things hold on, how we hold on. I mean, our beliefs are formed between these ages of zero to zero to seven to 14. And it's down to these simple stories that we tell ourselves based on an event that happened. And so I think, you know, me not being naturally a very confident 
little girl growing up and even young adults and even now still I'm like what the hell am I doing you know every day I'm like what am I doing what am I doing (laughs) but um but it's I could really relate to that and I could really see how you can get in your own way because of that and it was also very close to home because at that point I was exploring stepping again out of my comfort zone leaving teaching but what does that look like all I know is I can't stay in teaching because I just can't this is not where I'm meant to be so those you know the anxiety was heightened at that point again because I'm doing so many things out of my comfort zone and it's it just feels like those negative voices are 10 times louder so I think in that way it has become a gift and also really learning to tune into my body and really sit and have a conversation with it. And that's what I get kids and families to do of, well, where do you feel the feeling in your body? What color is it? What shape is it? If it could talk back to you, what would it say? Um, you know, and I really love the work of Dr. Russell Kennedy of talking to that inner child of yours, that little girl or little boy that's feeling really anxious. And what is it that they need? You know, and what did they need and how can you give that to yourself? And I think that, you know, that in itself has has helped me so much in doing what I'm doing today. That's incredible. Before I wrap up, for the next two minutes, can you selfishly, unapologetically plug yourself and everything <laughs> and anything you've got going on? Two minutes is long. Okay, well, so, <laughs> you have to pick up the full two minutes, obviously. <laughs> so, at the moment, I mean, I'm quite active on Instagram, so obviously people can find me there. My handle is Power Thoughts NC. LinkedIn, I started that about a year ago, so I'm also quite active on LinkedIn. I'm loving my work in the corporate space with Working Parent Network, so that is definitely an avenue that I am going to be building on a lot more over the next year. I've got a group coaching program. Well, at the moment, I've got a membership, but I'm thinking of changing that to a fixed program. So that's something that I will be sharing more about, and that's for parents. And I've got my books. I've got four activity books for kids. Um, so I'll send you one, by the way, one of the, well, the, one of the latest ones of I've written down your name, so I'll do that. Um, so we've got four activity books around confidence. What are they called, actually? know your feelings and love being you. I know <laughs> um, there is uh, one on friendships. I can send you the names. There's, there's um, stretch your confidence, find your power, love being you, know your feelings and help your friendships flourish. Yes. Fair enough. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing all that you had. I, I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation because every time I have a conversation, I feel I've explained this before. It's sort of like energy exchange. Sometimes people just take energy from me and leave me feeling some sort of way. Thankfully, each and every one of my guests has never left me feeling that way where you can have like a 10 minute conversation with someone and then you just need to go away and recharge for all of 12 hours because it just (laughs) done you. You have always reciprocated the energy I've given, even though I feel like my energy is never adequate enough, not just to you, but to people in general. And you always seem to give it back with a slight spice to it because it's you it's your it's what you offer and that's what I've always loved about you it seems to be coming from a place of sincerity it's genuine it's there is no malice in what you do from what I have experienced and to hear you talk about the anxiety you've had to navigate through overcome and stuff like that I guess I'm able to 
relate to it because the reason I have so many different conversations with so many different people is because I sit in my feelings a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about certain things that they've touched on, I can kind of go, I I can hear that. I can feel Mm -hmm. that. I can see it because I've been there and to the point where people are saying, oh, but I get anxiety over this. It's like, cool, sit in your feelings and and just think it out. What if this does happen? Well, well, this happens. Okay, then what? Well, then this happens. Mm -hmm. And then what? Well, I'll have to go back to square one. Okay, so what's the beef? Mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. it's the fear of the unknown that gets you in a yeah. crippling state where you feel like you cannot progress any further. But if you play mm-hmm. it out, you realize there is no unknown. It's no difference. Mm-hmm. I get, well, I like to say it's no different too. When you're younger, you watch a scary movie because why would you watch yeah. a scary movie? That's so dumb. But you watch That's a scary a, movie, yeah. right? And you need to go to the fridge, but you're petrified because the lights are all off and you see shadows moving and you're all scared but you know if you just got a light there's nothing there Mm. but as soon as the light's not there your mind starts going to the deepest darkest crevice of everything Mm. that is what anxiety feels like to me it's when i'm not Mm. willing to open up that email not willing to open that letter not willing to read that email that whatsapp that whatever it is sometimes you should shine a bit of light on it and just own it because the worst thing you can say is something you don't agree with but you know what? You're bigger, you're badder, you're stronger than mm-hmm. that. And if it's mm-hmm. not what you want to hear, it's all right. Because you know what? Life's full of them. You just got to yeah. navigate it accordingly. And you, you do well. And I think you are a testament to show that no matter how you see yourself, isn't necessarily how the world will see you or the impact you can mm-hmm. have on the world. Because sometimes people need to go through something in order to champion that's something so i love you for what you've done for taking ownership of how you felt for putting yourself in that position mad love and respect to mum and dad for all that they've done and the village that also supported you to get you from where you were to where you are now Mm -hmm. it's encouraging for me to know that even though i may say to my son (laughs) be careful several times an hour but it's nice to know that potentially he might be able to have a positive impact yeah. on the world and still have love for me and have love for himself and, and appreciate that he has such value to this world and mm. the world will love him. Not all of it, but they will love him for what he can uniquely bring mm. as well as my other two kids. So thank you Absolutely. for coming on. Oh, no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I felt like therapy was much needed. Thank you. <laughs> I'll send you my bill. Um, yeah, pop <laughs> send me the invoice. <laughs> can you imagine? So for everyone else, I hope you enjoyed the conversation because I really did. And I hope this just gives you an insight to see someone as successful, someone in the public eye, Natalie, who does what she does, still has the same concerns that we've probably all experienced at one time. Please reach out to her. Please get in contact if you know someone that could benefit from what she does or hear some of the things that she shares because she's all about giving off value. She gives of herself so much. She, I tell her to rate it in a little bit, put a price tag on it, but no, she doesn't do that. She doesn't do that because she's just lovely and innocent like that. But what can I say? I do these podcasts are free. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, she's just giving of herself and she's an amazing human being. I just want you to go over and follow her on her social connect with her while you're at come follow me on every old podcast on LinkedIn. link yeah link, no 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 follow me on instagram because i do some exclusive content on there every now and again 
and yeah just rate review the episodes if you do like them because the more people that hear these the less alone they will feel so mm-hmm. i thank each and every one of my guests for coming on and that's included and just hopefully this message run, rang true with you and lets you know there's nothing about a caterpillar that tell you it's going to be a butterfly look after yourself and i'll speak to you in the next one Thank you.